enjoy having the whole praise band here this morning. I uh, was telling this morning in between services just how good it sounds, how full it is. Um, and so if, if you appreciate them, let them know. Tell them thank you. Uh, So this, last Sunday, but especially this Sunday, we've gone back to two services, and so we also are back to our Sunday schools. So if you have a kid in Sunday school, make sure you tell that teacher thank you for being here every single Sunday. Uh, if you have a little one in the nursery, make sure you tell the nursery workers thank you for being here every single Sunday. Um, they uh, work real hard throughout the year, and they're always really willing servants, and so make sure you take a minute and tell them thank you. Uh, this morning, I want to start with a little bit of uh, Bible trivia. Um, many of you know Jesus spoke in parables a lot. That's the way he taught. Um, and uh, he would tell these stories, and each story had a lesson. Um, and he would use those. Someone would ask him a question a lot of times. They'd say, Jesus, what about this? And he'd say, well, let me tell you a story. And uh, that's the way he'd teach. Now, in Jesus' parables, uh, there was lots of subjects. Uh, he talked about um, heaven and hell, talked about forgiveness, talked about sacrifice, all these different things. But there's one subject in Jesus's parables that he talked about more than any other subject. In fact, over half of Jesus's parables are about this one subject. Does anybody know what it is? It is money. That's right. Jesus told more parables about money than anything else. Um, God wants us to understand, to know, to submit to him, and to worship him um, with our money. Now, I think our enemy today has, has uh, developed a really good scheme. Uh, he has a lot of TV preachers and a lot of false prophets out there um, talking about money and asking for your money in, in not good and godly ways. And because of that, so often in the church, we say, ah, we're not talking about money. If, if the pastor's talking about money, I'm shutting off. Um, and that's a scheme of the enemy because God wants us to know um, how he desires for us to live as far as our worldly wealth is concerned. It's very important to God. It's very important to Jesus. He spoke about it in parables more than anything else. And so this morning we're going to talk about that. And I have to tell you, I did not plan on doing this. Um, we're going through the life of David. I'm having a blast. I enjoy that in the Psalms and it's, it's a good time for me. And I work really hard on a series, so to just stop in the middle of it and do something is actually harder for me than just continuing on with what I've already been doing. Um, however, the last several weeks, um, I've had several leaders at the church um, come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Shane, when I do the announcements, is it okay if I share a little more, a little extra? And I go, sure, that'd be great. I love to hear from the leaders in the church. Well, there's this theme that kept coming up over and over again. They were given testimonies about how they've worshipped God with their money and put him first and been blessed. And then uh, I'm going to share a little bit more about this at the very end, but God's been doing a real work in me um, just recently in this area. It's been kind of painful. Um, and so I'm going to share that with you at the end. But because of all those different things, it was, I was just convicted. I felt that God really wanted us to take some time in our church. He wants to do a work and uh, wants me to talk about this today. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, this area, I think, is one of the areas, probably one of the most dangerous areas, um, where we are in danger of being in bondage to our enemy. Um, for some reason, it's a difficult area for so many of us. Uh, and so what we're going to talk about today, um, usually uh, each year in the spring, I'll do a, a, a two-part sermon about um, our uh, the idea of, of Thrive. Um, I came up with that several years ago. It's an acronym that stands for Trusting His Riches 
and investing in ventures of eternity. Um, and those are the two aspects that we talk about. And what that is is really, I think, what God wants to accomplish in us. Um, the reason he teaches us about these disciplines and about putting him first is because he wants, us to, to, he wants to accomplish those things in us. He wants us to trust in him with all that he gives us, and he wants us to be mindful of eternity and, and value that over worldly things. And so this morning, we're going to run through both of those and talk about what it is that God wants to accomplish. And then next Sunday, I want to do something that we haven't really done before, and that's share with you how we do that, what that looks like, what that should mean for us. And so that's what we're going to be doing the next couple Sundays. Um, probably shouldn't have told you that ahead of time, because if you don't want to hear about Monday, you're not, or money, you're not going to show up next Sunday. Uh, but that's what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to talk about. And so what I want to do is, is we'll start in Malachi uh, chapter 3. Now, uh, the book of Malachi is, if you have trouble finding it, just go to the spot in your Bible where it says New Testament. You know that big blank page that says New Testament on it? And then turn back one page from there. Uh, Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. It's a small book. It's only four chapters. Um, but that's where we're going to be looking at this morning is Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 12. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. He says, Because I, the Lord, have not changed, you, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. Since the days of your fathers you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payment of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, I just ask that you would open up uh, our hearts and minds. Um, I know that uh, in my life, in the past, uh, when I was a young man sitting and listening to sermons, uh, my heart and my mind would so often close um, with this issue. And so, Father, I ask that that wouldn't happen here today, that we would be open, because just like anything else you teach us in your scripture, you have uh, a desire for us to experience the great abundant life that you have for us, a relationship with you that is close and strong. Um, and so that's what we're talking about today. And so I ask that we be open to that, Father, and I ask that you would speak. Um, I know that, that I have no right or no place um, to be teaching about any of this. It's only through you and your spirit working in me and through me um, that truth and wisdom can be spoken here today. So get me out of the way. Uh, and I just ask that you would speak. Uh, bless us with your presence in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a few things I want to look at in this passage. And the first is the lack of trust that shows up. God begins by saying, um, you, you continue to turn away from me. Um, you continue to turn away from what I've taught you and what I've asked of you. Um, and, and he says uh, uh, that uh, you, you, you turn away in such a way that you're robbing God. You're taking what belongs to me. 
Um, and that's an interesting perspective. God doesn't say, um, you're not giving me what you should give me. What is he saying? You're robbing me. You're taking what belongs to me. And so this is the, this is the, the lack of trust that the people have. They, they're being disobedient to God. They don't want to put things in his hands. Now, the, the tenth that it's talking about here is an Old Testament idea about uh, the tithe is what we call it. And what God instructed his people is that the first 10 percent, um, one in 10, the first 10 percent of whatever you get belongs to the Lord. That's his. You give it to him in worship. And if you study the Old Testament and understand there's, there's much more that the people give than just that. That's just the beginning. That's just the, the first thing. Um, but there's much more that we give to God in worship. And the New Testament teaching is actually far beyond the tithe. It's that we give all uh, that we have. Everything is submitted to God. Um, so that's the tithe idea in the tenth. Um, and, and refusing uh, to do this in our relationship with God, to trust him, uh, is, is a very serious sin. God says, you're robbing me. And this idea, this aspect of it is why we can't say this, that I, I know I've said, you guys have probably said it too. If God would only bless me with more, then I could afford to give. I can't right now. I just can't. But if God would bless me with more, then I could afford to give. In fact, um, we have to understand that obedience always comes before the blessing. Obedience comes before the blessing. In fact, disobedience results in the opposite of blessing. If you turn back just two books in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk, I mean not Habakkuk, Haggai, the other H book. Um, if you turn back to the, the book of Haggai, uh, chapter 1, here's what it looks like to live in disobedience. Um, this is the opposite of blessing. Verses 2 through 6, it says, The Lord of armies says this, These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses, your nice houses, while this house, the Lord's house, lies in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but you never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but you never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. Have you ever felt like you put your wages into a bag with a hole in it? Um, see, obedience always comes first and then the blessing. We can't be disobedient to God and expect him to bless us in our disobedience. The next thing that we see in Malachi is the test of trust. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God says, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. Now, I've shared this with you before, but in Deuteronomy 6, 16, God says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So which one is it? Do we test him or do we not test him? Uh, if you look at those passages in Deuteronomy, it's talking about disobedience. God is saying, if you continue to do this, then I will punish you. And he says, don't test me. Have you ever had like your mom or your dad tell me, don't test me. Don't test me, God says. But the opposite is, is true. God says, I will bless you in ways you can't even imagine. Be obedient. Do what I've asked. And I will bless you in ways you can't even believe. Test me and see if I don't do this. See if I don't fulfill my promise to you. Never test God by being disobedient. Always <laughs> test God by being obedient. And this seems backwards. The, the way God is saying this, he's saying you don't have enough. Uh, you're putting your, your money into a bag with a hole in it. 
Well, then give to me first and see what happens. But this is a kingdom principle. This is part of God's system. If you turn over just one book from Malachi to Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, this is what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 33. says, No one can serve two masters, since he will hate one and love the other, or he be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need him. Now, here's, here's, here's the principle. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be provided to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you know what it's called when we test God by being obedient to him? It's called trust. <laughs> it's called trust. The next thing, or the last thing in the book of Malachi that I see is the fruit. God tells us the fruit of this kind of trust. Verses 11 and 12, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not ruin the produce of your land, and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Once we've trusted God, we can watch him deliver on his promise. If you've ever experienced that in your walk with God, in your relationship with God, it's an, it's an amazing thing where you've trusted him with something. God said, trust me in this, test me in this, and see, see that I won't, I won't keep my promise. And so you've done that. You've trusted God. You've tested God. And then you just see him work. You see him deliver exactly how he said he would. And you can't imagine the plans that God has for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I can't imagine what hope and a future looks like for me in God's eyes. And when we're blessed through obedience to God, there's no guilt associated with those blessings. Here's what I mean. Uh, when we try to bless ourselves, <laughs> when we try to, uh, to finagle things and work things and scheme in order to bless myself, then there's always, it's always tainted. There's always something impure. There's, there's always some guilt involved with that. But when we're obedient to God and God cares for our needs and he blesses us, then it's pure, it's perfect, it's not tainted. There's no guilt to that when God has blessed us instead of us trying to bless ourselves. But there's other fruit to this that I think is important to bring out, especially in uh, the, the New Testament time, the age of Christ that we live in. And that's that when we trust God in this way, when we are obedient to God in this way, 
it has not only benefits for me as an individual, but it has benefits for the church of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 20, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians. And he says this, he says, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see the system that Paul's talking about there? Uh, the Philippian church sent support. They, they, they gathered, and we're going to talk about this actually some more next week, but they would gather up their money and they would send it to Paul to support his missionary journeys. Now, in the early days of Paul spreading the gospel, how many churches supported him? One. <laughs> Did you pick that up? He was able to continue spreading the gospel because one faithful church. And do you notice Paul's confidence in there? He says, I know because you have been faithful, because you have been generous, because you've been supporting the work of the gospel, I know God will care for your needs. I know he's going to take care of you guys. Now, can you imagine the importance of one faithful church spreading the gospel? All the other books that we have in the New Testament, all that Paul wrote, the gospel being spread to all the, the world. One church was faithful and supported the greatest and first missionary the Apostle Paul. You see, when we are obedient to God, when we trust him in this way, it not only blesses me, but it blesses the church of Jesus Christ. It spreads the gospel all over the world. This practice of giving, of tithing, of giving our first and best to God, when we give our first and best to God, it challenges, it demonstrates, and it strengthens our trust in God. When we give our first and best, it challenges our trust, it demonstrates our trust, and it strengthens our trust in Him. The second part of this that I want to look at is investing in the ventures of eternity. And we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 6 for that. And, and actually, the portion of Scripture right before what I read a little bit ago. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 24. We're going to talk about our investment now. The other thing that God wants to accomplish in us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, uh, ventures, what I mean by that in, in the secular world, a venture is an organization or a business that, that uh, multiple people invest in hoping to get a great return on their investment. And so that's what we're talking about. We, we have an investment in God that, that we come together as God's people and we invest in this 
with hopes of a great return are our investment. So first we have the place of investing. Verses 19 and 20 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. It seems like in this passage, Jesus is focused uh, just on heaven, just on, just on eternity and not on this earth. The things that we store in heaven are there forever, and the things that we keep on earth are, are all destroyed. Our, our, our earthly treasure is destroyed, but our heavenly treasure is kept for us, so one day, one day, we will have that treasure that we've stored in heaven. But there's something bigger than that here. Our treasure that we store in heaven is meant to supply our needs now. We have access to that eternal treasure. When we store treasures in heaven, we draw on that for the, the strength and the ability to live for today. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 says, Together with Christ Jesus, God also raised us, past tense, up with him, and seated us, past tense, in heavens, so that in the coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We have been raised with Jesus. We won't be raised someday. That's not what it says. We have been raised with Jesus, and we don't go to eternity someday. We are already seated. It's done. It's over in the heavenly realms. I want to share with you, there's a book that I love. I always laugh when I flip back through this book, because I think I have like three different colors of highlighting in here now, because I've read it so many times. This is The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, and there's this quote in here, um, that has become so important to me in life. I don't read this for you. He says, Eternity is now ongoing. I am now leading a life that will last forever. Upon my treasure in the heavens, I now draw for present needs. If with a view to my needs in this life, I had to choose between having good credit with a bank and having good credit with God, I would not hesitate a moment. By all means, let the bank go. I am now living an eternal life. Have you ever thought of it that way? I am now living an eternal life. In Christ, there is no death. There is no condemnation. There'll be a transition in there somewhere. But I am now living my eternal life. We draw on our treasures in heaven for our current needs. When we put treasures in heaven, it's not for someday. It's for our life, our existence now the eternal life that we are living. So then once we know where we're investing, we learn the purpose, the reason that he wants us to invest there. Verses 21 through 23 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is what I like to call the rule of the heart. Your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows your treasure. And why is that important? That's where the illustration comes in. Our eyes are what guides us through the world. As we look around in our world, the way that, that light is brought into our body and we have the knowledge and understanding of where to walk and what to do is because of our eyes. And when our eyes are no good, when they're dark and we can't see, 
then all of a sudden there's no light within us. We don't have the, the knowledge, the ability to navigate our world. Now, people do fine without sight, but they have to learn a new way to navigate the world, don't they? Yeah. So if the light within you is darkness, what Jesus means by that is the spiritual world. We navigate with our heart. That's how we know the decisions to make. That's how we know right and wrong. And if your heart is set on darkness, how deep is that darkness? How will you ever navigate this world with a dark heart? How do you know what your heart treasures? How do you know if your heart is, is, is uh, bright and, 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 and leading you in the right direction? How do you know what your heart treasures? couple tests. What's the first thing and the last thing you think about every single day? What do you go to bed thinking about and what do you wake up thinking about? What do you get the most excited to talk about? Uh, you get my son talking about animals. He, he's going to be a zookeeper, I swear. I mean, he wants to tell you every fact about every animal that ever lived. Uh, he was telling me the other day how he knows more about animals than his teacher does. But what, what do you get the most excited about? When you get, oh man, you know that feeling? You can't wait to tell people about it, talk about it. That, that's what your heart treasures. And related to what we're talking about today, go through your, your bank statement. Where do the big chunks of money go? Because that's what you treasure. The ultimate purpose of investing our treasures in heaven is so that our heart will be in heaven, that our heart will be clear and able to navigate this dark world. That's why our heart needs to treasure the things of God and not the things of this world. And that brings us to the priority in verse 24. No one can serve two masters since he will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, if you read through that, that verse might initially sound like a command, right? You cannot serve both God and money. But it's not a command. It's a universal, inescapable truth. Jesus is not saying, I'm not going to let you or I command you not. He's saying, this is just the way it is. The truth is you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and also be a slave to money. It doesn't work. At some point, you will have to choose and you'll choose the thing that you treasure the most. That's the one that you'll choose. So the question is, will you end up despising worldly wealth because it tried to pull you away from God? Or will you end up despising God because he tried to take your worldly wealth away from you? You will love the one and hate the other. You can't serve them both. God wants us to invest in the things of eternity because he wants us to value the things of eternity. And ultimately, he wants us to value him more than anything else on earth. So that's what God is, is, is hoping, is wanting to accomplish in each and every one of us. That's why he, he tells us those things and he teaches us those things. That's why this was so important to Jesus in his ministry, because God wants to accomplish these things. He wants us to trust in him and his provision and not our own power. And he wants us to treasure him more than anything else. That's what he's accomplishing through these teachings and these disciplines and what we do with our money. So now we get, we get to the really hard part for me today. Um, I know some of you probably think that these sermons are 
Pastor Shane telling you all these things because I have them all figured out. And I do all these things perfectly, so let me teach you about it. But the truth is, every single lesson that I've ever taught from this pulpit is just as much for me as it is for you. There's a quote that I love by John Owen. He says this, he says, A man only preaches a sermon well to others if he has first preached it to himself. If he does not thrive on the food he prepares, he will not be skilled at making it appetizing for others. If the word does not dwell in power in us, it will not pass in power from us. So this lesson today is for me. I have to share with you, um, like I said at the beginning, this wasn't my plan for these next couple weeks. I had a different plan. It was a much easier plan. Last Sunday, Josh McClure um, came up and, and gave a testimony. He was talking about um, hearing a sermon I had preached a while back. I don't know how long ago it was, a couple years maybe. Um, and feeling convicted, feeling that, that God was doing this work in him and he wanted to be obedient, him and his family. And he said, but the, the, at the time God convicted him of that, it, it was bad timing because his, his wife was cutting back on work to start school again. <laughs> and they were already worried how, you know, how that was going to work out and how ends were going to meet. And he just explained and shared with us how God provided. And one thing that I loved about what Josh said is he said, we didn't always know how. <laughs> he just provided. And if you've trusted God in those ways, you, you know that. You can't go down and make a list of, he did this and then he did this. Sometimes, like, I don't know, we were just okay. <laughs> he just took care of us. Well, I was convicted. This last year has been really difficult uh, for me and my family. Uh, everybody sees the physical stuff that you go through, the injuries and the recovery. And once I came to the place where I'd kind of recovered, um, you know, physically I was able to do the things I wanted to do. The, the doctor releases you and says, well, you're good to go. Just come see me when you need to now. And I came to that point and, and realized that, that that physical, we were, we were on the other side of that challenge. And then we sat down after all that, and I realized that this had really impacted our family financially. And coming to that, I remember the day I came to that realization. Coming to that realization started a, a downward spiral for me. When a crisis comes, my default, <laughs> the way I'm built, is to take everything on my shoulders. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. I will deliver us <laughs> from this trial. Just trust me. And so for the first time in years, I decided that we could not afford to tithe right now. So I began to do everything that I could to get us back on top, to get us back to a good place, got rid of any monthly uh, extra expenses that we didn't need, looked at all of our different bills, changed phone service, changed insurance companies to get everything as, as low as we could, sold my second car, sold my motorcycle, all with the understanding of I'm going to get us back to a place where we can tithe. Now that sounds really honorable, doesn't it? But the truth is that's the opposite of what I just talk to you about. That's the opposite of obedience. A lot of unhealthy things happen. I began to do all our bills without my wife. I don't know how your household runs, but we don't do that. We both know where all of our money is going and what we're spending it on. But she, uh, Stephanie, didn't need to worry about that. I've got that. I will take care of all this. 
I'll get us out of this. I started making some really poor decisions because in crisis, when everything's on my shoulders and, and I have to save us from this, then every decision is, is an emergency. Every, everything rides on this one decision to rescue us. And I became completely overwhelmed. Um, more stress, more worry, afraid that I was going to let us down, that I was going to fail us. And I couldn't understand through all that why I couldn't accomplish it. Why can't I get us back on top? Every plan that I had, every decision that I made that was supposed to take care of things never did. And I couldn't get us back. I couldn't rescue us. All trust in God was abandoned and everything now depended on my ability to manipulate things in order to rescue me and my family. And it, was, it has been <laughs> killing me. I can't stand here today and tell my brothers and sisters that submit to God and I can guarantee you that you'll never have any hard times again. Everything will be great. It's not true. We go through difficult times. But here's my lesson. Here's what I've learned, and here's what I can promise you. When you walk through those hard times, you can have peace and you can have confidence only when you're obedient to God. Only when you're obedient to God. Complete and perfect peace only comes through trusting God. Isn't that the story of Jesus? Isn't that where we all began this? I can't do it. I can't save myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't be smart enough, good enough, or righteous enough. The only way to find peace is to come to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's the story every day of our lives after that. So I want to tell you today, first of all, before you can trust him with your finances, trust him with your salvation. If you haven't done that, that comes first. And before you can invest in eternity, you have to open an account. You have to have a place. You have to be seated in the heavenly realms with him. And that only comes through Jesus. But once you've done that, live every day in that obedience. Because that's the only place where peace is found. The minute you try to take things out of God's hands, first of all, it'll all fall apart. And secondly, it'll kill you from the inside out. I want to share with you one last passage today from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I don't know how many times I've read this passage. I don't know how many times I've heard this passage. I guarantee probably every single person sitting here today has heard verse 28. (laughs) Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me read that again. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Simply be obedient to me. That's it. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Just do what I ask of you. Trust in me. And I'll take care of the rest of it. 
you will find peace and you will find rest for your souls. That's the story of Jesus Christ for our salvation. It's the story of Jesus Christ for every single day after that. If you've been trying to do it all yourself, come to Jesus, turn it over to him. He's the only one that saves, the only one that rescues, and the only one that can provide for all our needs. Amen? Stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come today, um, I'm just humbled today. Um, and after all these years of walking with you, I can still fall into the mistake of trying to save myself. Father, I'm so thankful that if I just realize it, I don't have to do that. I'm so thankful that you have the power to provide, that you promise us that you will care for us and that you have the power to do it. Father, I ask that as you continue to do a work in my heart, you would do a work in the hearts of each and every one of us gathered here today. Sometimes our worldly wealth, our money, is the most difficult place to trust you. And that sounds so silly because I've trusted you with my eternal salvation. But I tell you to step away and I'll take care of the bills by myself. Father, open up our hearts. Give us the wisdom to put every area of our lives in, in your hands and especially this one today. Lord, let us be obedient to you. Seek first your kingdom. Give to you our first and best to test you and trust you and see if you don't provide for us in ways we couldn't imagine. Father, thank you. Thank you for the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the greatest salvation from death and condemnation. As your children, save us from our foolishness and our sinfulness every single day. Let us walk closer to you and put more and more of our trust on your shoulders. Take it off of our own. We love you. We trust you. We look forward to seeing you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.